playing around before and starting right now, we're going to be actually podcasting. Now, yeah, I don't know. It's a, That's an example of what my personality is not like. Or is it? Is that what my personality is like? Honestly, I find it very hard to decide if I take things seriously. Like, do I take myself seriously or not? I'm not sure. I was toying around with the idea of going on the dating apps. And when you do, oh, this is so shameful and embarrassing. But I'm just going to say it because what's the pod for? Um, I was toying with the idea of going on the dating apps. And one of the first things you then think about is like, so what are you going to write this time, motherfucker? What are you going to write about yourself? on a, Like, it's the most... Oh, it's a shameful corner of our culture, just like your profile. It's a little bit like, I don't know, just all the worst things. Sending a picture of like, if you have a weird skin condition and you don't know what's going on and you take a picture of it and send it to your friend. It's like so embarrassing to send that picture. And it's equally embarrassing to send a picture, a screenshot of your dating profile. Uh, So what was I talking about? Yeah. Anyway. I um I'm really really tired. I was up till 7 a.m. working on a thing and I slept only a few hours and I woke up and I am not very smart today. It's a thing that before I think it's because I'm driving. Like before before I was a driver, before I had a car, I was less fascinated with this idea of like, am I stupid now because I haven't slept? And now, because I'm driving, I just worry. Like when I'm driving and I'm really tired, I it's more of an it's more of an actual. The question is posed. Whereas before, when I'm not um, driving, it's more like you're tired. You've only slept two hours, and you suffer, and you hate everything, and you hate being tired. But you're not really confronted with the question of like, am I an idiot right now? Because I haven't slept. And so I just take note of it more. <clears throat> so like I woke up and I was uh, texting with my, my buddy Stephanie who works at Holbrook. And she was saying that, that she was going to have a little hangout at her house. And she texted me. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm renting the Grinch. And we got some rosé. And buy yourself some sparkling water because like you don't drink rosé. And I was like, what do you mean you're renting the Grinch? And I was like... Is the Grinch one of her friends that looks like a Grinch? I honestly, I read it six times. I read it six times and I couldn't understand it. And I was like, who's the Grinch? Like, wait, is it someone we know that looks like a Grinch and you're paying them to come over? Or what do you mean, renting the Grinch? And I read it six times and I didn't understand it. And then she just texted me again and was like, look, I'm renting the movie The Grinch from Amazon. <laughs> and I was like, and I look at it again, I'm like, oh, that's actually extremely obvious. And then I was reading the news on my phone and I couldn't understand the headlines. And I, to the point where I like took a screenshot of a, a news headline and sent it to my buddy Sam and was like, look at this headline. This headline is complete gobbledygook. And the headline was something like, you know, California suffers because there's a lack of meat processing plants in the South or something. And I could only read it as there's a lack of meat. 
And then I was like, why is the word processing plant after the word meat without a comma or anything? Like, shouldn't there be a lack of meat causes problem in processing plant or something? And I just couldn't, I couldn't compute the sentence, but it's just like, there's a lack of meat processing plants. Like, it's not that complicated of a concept. But I literally sent a screenshot of it to my friend making fun of the writer of the headline and saying, wow, they really fucked up this headline. That's that's the intelligence that we're dealing with on this episode. So, so everything up until this point was just practice. And now we're going to see if I can do this in my sleep. Here's another one that I did. <clears throat> I was going over to Stephanie's house and I offered her, I was like... Um, I offered her a milkshake and it's probably, I don't know why I don't offer people stuff all the time, but somehow I've offered, Stephanie is lactose intolerant and I have offered her things with dairy maybe 40 times and it's getting really, like it's really bad, you know? And usually it's like when I'm stressed out or really distracted, I like accidentally offer her something with dairy. And then she got a little bit annoyed today when I offered her a milkshake because every time it's the same thing of like, she loves milkshakes, but she can't have them. Because um, she's like, then I'll be living wild in the bathroom. It's like, whoa, people with lactose intolerance need to just say, they need to just say no and not elaborate. Like, guys, stop elaborating. We're good. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> God. Oh, God. God, can I talk about this? I'm, it's like, this is like a smart, am I going to, a stupid Joachim going to have to try to have a smart Joachim conversation now? Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be a really heavy lift. But um, I, um, there's this new app, or I don't even know if it's an app. It's it's some sort of like um, software that you can, pay 30 bucks to and then you send it 20 pictures of yourself and it creates a 3d rendering of you and everyone is doing it and then there's this like whiny backlash where people are like oh did you know that that algorithm is actually built by scanning two trillion images from the internet and all the people who made that art they're like not getting paid and now this algorithm is just going to replace artists and it's like god damn it that makes me so why does that make me so mad that makes me so mad because it's such a techno pessimist instinct and i have a techno optimist instinct and the reality is probably somewhere in the middle where like we keep inventing new tools because that's really all it is like it on the face of it it's just a new tool and then people like to have this like think that they're smart because they have this smart take they're super takey and they come up with a take and their take is like, oh no, the way this fits into the larger economy of our, of our fucking system is that we're going to use this tool to oppress fucking artists. And it's such a shitty take. I mean, the truth is obviously that somewhere in the middle where we keep um, inventing new tools and everything keeps changing and there are winners and losers in the short term in every moment. And there's real negative things that happen and real positive things that happen. But I really see it as an upward trend. Like inventing new tools is good. If you look at human history, just generally speaking, I think we can, we can, we, it's now, we've tried it many enough times now 
many enough times. Wow. Okay. That's how this episode is going to go. Many, we've tried it and, and more tools is good. And then it reminds me, obviously, I mean, yeah, it reminds me of my uncle who, who was talking about how, I don't know, I've just known a lot of people that really, really learned the tools of a time in the history of graphic design. And then 10 years later, it's just over for them. And you, what everything you learned is now useless and you have to completely scrap everything and start over. But it also, um, like Julie's always talking about, Julie in Seattle is always talking about this guy, Martin, who's like, he's like an aging alcoholic and his, his, uh, oh man, I wish I remember the fancy French word for it. You know, I think I'm thinking of the word denouement, which is not, it doesn't apply. It's just a fancy French word. There should be a fancy French word for like the great fire burning in his belly that keeps him, the, the great burning chip on his shoulder. The great burning sh- chip, ship. The, the burning ship on Martin's shoulder is that he was a photo guy and he had a, a photo studio and he developed film. And then that became obsolete. And he was like the number one guy in the Pacific Northwest for developing film. He was like a mega expert. But you know what he wasn't? He wasn't dynamic. And he didn't learn something else when that started fucking... It's like getting clinging to something that's going away. God damn it, there's a lesson in there. Like, because your gut instinct, like you know that the thing is going away. And you know that the thing you're doing isn't totally making sense. And it becomes more and more clear with every year. And the more clear it gets, the more bitter you get. And the more the more you dig in. And it's like, God damn it, I can see myself... Um, slowly slipping down into just something like that. Like, because no job I ever had really made sense. So I had a lot of sympathy for it is what I'm, is what I'm, where I'm landing here. No job I ever had made sense. Like no education I ever got really matched with any job I ever had. Like, you know, you, you hit me with two bachelor degrees, but it's still like, still couldn't get a job that has anything to do with anything like that. Just because I didn't want to, you know? Why'd you get a different job? Wanted to? Anyway, the other thing I was going to say that it's reminding me of that's also happening right now on the internet is like everyone's putting out their Spotify wrapped. Everyone's posting screenshots of their own wrapped, which is basically like, it's so smart, the people who came up with it. Because you want to, the music you listen to really hits you right in the heart. And then the stuff you listen to the most, you love it so much that you just want to share it with the world. So if the big corporations just show you a graphic, ready-made graphic with the stuff you love the most, god damn it, you got to take a screenshot of that shit and post it on the internet because you you love this combination of five bands. And you think you're so quirky and cool and interesting that like, ooh, three of them are rap music and two of them are not? Ooh, interesting. You, you... Ooh, you're a real, you have a real complexity to your character there. Ooh, duality of man. Yeah, ooh. You got a lot going on there. You must, you got a lot of depth, my friend. So you want to post it, so you post it. And then there's this whiny backlash that's very similar to the AI, um, to the fucking AI makes a picture of you, like an anime. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like a bunch of, anyway. The, the whiny backlash to the Spotify thing is just about how Spotify sucks. And it's like, 
the thing I get hung up on there is that they keep looking at the world right before Spotify and saying, it was so good then, and then now everything sucks because now artists don't get paid. But it's like, that's not a smart take. It's just not. Because you can pinpoint this moment, right? Like 1997 or something when Napster and LimeWire and what's the one with the donkey? E-Mule, when E-Mule is invented. Um file sharing illegally on the internet. You can pinpoint that moment. And before that moment, artists made, they had their critical mass. They like peaked. Artists made a lot of money. And then after that moment, it's been this slow decline into just like, it's impossible to, you're holding up this this burlap sack full of sand and the bag is just leaking and and you're just losing it like you're in this metaphor the sand is money and and the artists they want the money but it's just leaking everywhere and you try to stick your little fingers in the little holes but it's not working but the thing about it though is that like if you look beyond the near term it wasn't great. Like, if you look at the 1300s, this is so obvious what I'm going to say now. It's interesting. I can feel myself being really stupid and sleepy, but I can also not think smart thoughts. Yeah. I'm fascinated with the stupidity of the sleepy brain. Oh, you know what that reminds me of? My, um, when I was a kid, my dad always had a lot of issues going on, right? There was a little bit of drinking, and there was a little bit of Xanax, and there was some prescription stuff, and there was a lot of just staying in bed for weeks and weeks, and there was a lot of clinical depression rising to the level of diagnosis, and all of it, you know? And he had insomnia. He had really bad insomnia. And so sometimes he'd just be asleep at 3 p.m., you know, because he hadn't slept all night. And sometimes he'd just be like really weird because something would make it so you couldn't even sleep at 3 p.m. He couldn't even sleep the next day. So he'd just be like really, really weird and unshowered and just like walking around in his underwear and like a collared shirt, like walking around in a polo and his, and really worn underwear, just like stumbling around, just his hair all on end and just like really sort of smelling kind of musky and uh and he'd be so tired and then sometimes i remember a few times like sometimes you're on a trip or something and you're trying to come back and he just doesn't sleep on the trip so then now you're like you have to drive home you can't just not go home it's the logic of why we're driving and he would just like be driving and he'd be so sleeping and I'm sitting shotgun and I'm like nine years old and I remember him falling asleep so much and waking up from the the sound of the tire hitting that ribbed side thing you know the dotted the dotted edge of the roadway where it's like if you hit it if you if you start veering and he he'd wake up and I'd look at him and be like, you all right? And it's like, we both knew that we might die. But we would rather die than like have a conversation about it or me like saying anything drastic because that's embarrassing. 
Like we both in those moments made the very practical decision that it's really 50-50 if we're going to die now, but I'd rather die than like do anything drastic, like stop and stay an extra night here and like have to tell people why, because there's no good reason why. Nothing, nothing explainable has happened. It's just this like amorphous fucked upness of life that never had a name when I was nine years old. It was just this thing that was just bad. Just we're not doing good, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, man, my dad was a real insomniac. And I was too. And then I just started taking the lowest, tiniest amount of melatonin every night and changed my life. And now I sleep. Now I sleep. And I wonder if his entire life would have been different if he found melatonin. Probably not. Probably not. Anyway, what I was going to say is like the most obvious thing that like in the 1300s, Artists weren't paid for their art because there was no infrastructure to deliver art from the maker of the art to the recipient. All there was was like, maybe you have a tiny little medieval guitar and you fucking strum to the people around you. And maybe if you're super lucky, you can be in the royal court and sit next to the king and he'll pay you. So like that society, the midi a medieval British society could support like 20 artists, you know? I don't know, but not many. And then now we support more artists. But people focus on this like tiny period where we figured out, like where technology got to this very, very specific point where we could record stuff. So we had the technology to record it and we had the technology to uh, pay it forward in a big technological network of CD discs and fucking vinyl and bullshit different vehicles where we could ship the ship the art around earth and you could buy it and everyone who wanted to hear the music had to pay ten dollars and we we had this exact amount of technology where we can record it and we have the freedom to record it and we have the freedom to sell it to people but the people don't have the freedom to just download it like the tool like it's such an incredibly obviously it's a small period until, like, like we couldn't be in that sh shitty infantile state of technology for very long. It wouldn't make any sense. What, you wanted us to just do vinyl forever and pay $20 every time you want to hear a song? It's insane. And then, you know, yeah, I don't know. I get riled up. I think, okay, let's be honest. Hey, 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 hey stop, 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 stop. Let's be honest. You know why I get riled up? Because I sit here and I make so many types of content and no one has ever paid me anything for it. And I'm just salty about that, you know? I'm over here, like, spent 15 years writing a book, you know? Spent, like, probably 5,000 hours doing graphic design shit that's just made up for nothing. Never got paid for any of it because I just did it for pleasure. Or I just did no, that's also not true. I did it. Not knowing if it was going to go anywhere. Hey, spoiler alert, it didn't go anywhere. And then, you know, <clears throat> I'm on episode fucking 117 or something of the podcast. I haven't even hit that button in there where it goes, do you want money for this? Like, I'm sure that's a button somewhere. 
I'm sure that's not a button, actually. I I don't know. It might be a button. <laughs> that's so funny, actually. What if there was a button this whole time where I could have hit it and just been like, okay, so now you get three cents for each. I mean, not three cents. It's like 0.003 cents per stream. And, you know, I got a couple of thousand streams, so that would have been a dollar by now. Could have I could have had three dollars. Oh, God. Hey, okay. <laughs> Joe Kim talks himself into understanding why Spotify is a scam. <laughs> oh, so gets so riled up about people complaining about Spotify. And then imagine himself in the shoes of the content maker. Oh, I, I get it now. But also, I am in the shoes of the content maker. It's like that fucking song that's so goddamn beautiful called Everything is Free or Everything is Free Now or whatever that Phoebe Bridgers and, and um, not Julie Holland, um, Jor- Jordan Baker. <laughs> I'm so funny and stupid. It's like the, the artist I listen to the more than anyone. Oh, Julian Baker. I had to Google it. Okay. Had had to Google it. Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers does this song, Everything is Free. And it has this, it, they do an incredibly beautiful version of the song. And I very much encourage you to go on, on YouTube and listen to the live version of it, which is the only version that exists. But also, there's this beautiful line in the song where it's like, someone at the big house figured it out. It's uh, like, we're going to do this e- even if you don't pay us, you know? The artists are going to make art even if you don't pay us. That's the thing about it. Like, you think all those people that made fucking cave paintings, you think they sustained themselves on that? Or you think they spent all day hunting and then they just had this, like, desire to express themselves a little bit. So they went home and they did a little bit of podcasting. And they didn't put food on the table. They had to put food on the table. They The only way to put food on the table is to put food on the table. You don't fucking put food on the table by making art, bro. But we're going to make art even if it's, even if it, you know? Oh, my God. Wow. Very, 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 very uh, fragmented arguments here. Like, I made, I just made half an argument in three different directions. <laughs> completely, completely unlistenable. That's so fucking funny to me. <laughs> Oh, that makes my eyes water up. That's so funny. Okay. But so, yeah, I posted about this on Facebook, but the Spotify wrapped on the inside is actually made me feel good because I'm out here feeling like no one's listening. But but clearly there's like 80 people on Spotify and 80 people on iTunes. And it's 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 something, something is, you know. It's, uh, I'm afraid of saying this out loud because I feel like this is so powerful in a bad way. Like, I love Drake and I love listening to Drake and thinking that, oh yeah, the only other people listening to this music is, is like hot black girls. And then when you realize that Drake is mostly for white guys, you're like, oh, that makes me like Drake a whole lot less. So scratch that. I don't like Drake, you know? And that goes for everything I like. That when you just realize that you've just been pigeonholed, you don't like it. So here's the thing. Uh, my Spotify wrapped or like my Spotify backend has the stats of what my listeners are. 
and it's like, oh yeah, you got 120 people here, and it's 300 people that are really casual that only listened a little bit, and like 60 people where you're in their top five, and 17 people have this podcast as their number one podcast. Here's the thing, you know what my demographic is? Women 23 to 29. Yep. So if you're 23 to woman 23 to 29 right now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> If you're listening to this right now and you're woman 23 to 29, does that suddenly make you want to listen to it less because you feel like, have you just been, have you, it, are you just being catered to by some sort of like corporatist focus group fucking, I don't know. Somehow I'm ashamed of it. I don't know, whatever it is. Nah, I'm probably happy about it. I'm probably secretly happy about it. Like, Jesus Christ, you know how devastating it would be to realize that you have a perfect overlap with, like, the the Joe Rogan um, 14 to 23 male audience? That's, hey, let's be honest. I'm proud. Oh, God. That's the sinus curve of it all. My sinus curve has a sinus infection because... Is it called a sinus curve in English? Probably not. Sign? Sign curve? Anyway, that's the up and down. That's the roller coaster of it. Because as soon the moment I try to do positive self-talk and say tell myself that I'm proud of something, never do I fall to a deeper fucking pit of despair. Oh, nothing makes me feel worse than positive self-talk. Okay, that's my toxic trait. <clears throat> that is my toxic trait. But uh, anyway, I had a good day. Uh, maybe we should drink a water. So this week we're doing three fizzy waters and we're cheating and they're all kombuchas. So the first one here, GT's Synergy Raw Kombucha Golden Pineapple. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just thinking about my gut health this week. Oh, fuck. I love it. Pineapple. I got three ones that I haven't tried before. So good. Yeah, that's absolutely delicious. That's a that's immediately a 10 out of 10. Like, I love pineapple juice. And when you make it a little bit fizzy and a little bit tart and water it out a little bit and give it just a little bit of breath, a little bit of interesting tea, like put in the flooring, you know, you just put in something beneath it, beneath the sort of like, because the flavor of pineapple is sort of like a spiky ball that floats in the middle of the room. And it kind of needs a backdrop. It kind of needs some flooring and a ceiling and stuff. It needs stuff around it. So like some background flavors like tea and stuff. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Also, I'm suddenly reminded of, so I was at Steph's house and she had this book um, that just said kombucha and I cracked it open. And in it, there's like this, um, it's a guide for how to make it. It's all kinds of things. Disgusting recipes in the back, like Hey, you! did you know it can cook with kombucha? You can make ranch, buttermilk ranch with kombucha. It's like, bro, get out of here with your cooking with kombucha and putting kombucha in ranch. But what I was going to say is the funniest thing is that there's a step guide of like how you, uh, how you set it up. And step six, it's like photos. And, and photo number six, step six, is like a woman who just sticks a straw into a vat 
of kombucha and just sucks up a little bit in the straw. Like, do you understand how fucking disgusting that is? People have such a, people have, there's so much stigma around kombucha because it's like a little bit gross because it's bacteria is right there. The B in SCOBY is bacteria. And it's like, it just has like a, it's a disgusting brand, kombucha. Now, GTs, they really clean it up. And they make it seem nice. And they filter out a little bit of it. And it's just like, it just tastes so damn good. It must be an incredible, nah, it's only 60 calories. I'm just saying, kombucha has this disgusting brand. And then the way you choose to make it and teach people to make it is by sticking a straw straight into it and sucking straight out of the big vat so that your spit, like, unavoidably, when you're done sucking kombucha straight from the big vat through a straw into your mouth, some remnant, some remnant enzymes from your saliva will go back into the big vat. Like, have you ever seen a fucking winemaker when he's testing the fucking wine halfway through that he sticks a straw in it and just sucks some wine up? No, bro. That's disgusting. You fucking... You, you pop a hole in and you pour it in a glass and you try it out of a glass. You, you don't get your saliva in it. It's also like, it's called straw tasting, bro. Like you stick a straw into a drink and you cover the top of it and then you lift that up to your mouth and you like get just a, you know, cross-section sample from a straw into your mouth with no contamination going the other way. Like, do you know nothing about beverages? I don't know. It just made me mad anyway. But um, yeah, I, I I had a pretty good day. It's it's the other thing about um, that I want to defend Spotify about. It's just like sometimes I just have such a romantic relationships relationship with the with the with the with the algorithm. Like sometimes you you get to a weird playlist of an artist. And it's like their features or like their covers or some or their set list. And then you listen through this playlist and then that just puts you on a weird shuffle tangent where the algorithm, after you get to the last song of the thing, it just gets you to these, like you just get on a on a roll where you hear 20 songs in a row where you haven't heard any of those songs and you love them. And I'm driving around and I got on one of those today and I was like, man, these are such fresh sounds and I love it and I'm driving and I'm so tired, but it's all right. I can just relax. And I, my problem with feeling tired is that I get, I tense up and I like fight it, but really you can just relax when you're tired and just be tired. But then when you're driving, sometimes you relax and it's like, oh yeah, mm -hmm, this is how it happens. This is how, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I keep talking about the question of, am I stupid when I'm driving? It's not just that we fall asleep when we're driving. When we're awake and we're sleepy, how stupid are we? Because I think we might be pretty stupid. Uh, let's drink another fucking kombucha here. GT's Synergy Raw Kombucha Tangerine Dream. Oh my God, this is going to be so good. Tangerine juice. Oh my God. Ooh, that's less good. Ooh. Ooh. What is that? Why is it like that? Ooh, it's so bitter. Ooh. 
It's making it impossible to keep my eyes open. Oh, it's so perfumey. Oh, that's disgusting. It has like a super perfumey, oily quality. Like something that should never be, you should never drink it. It should only be in a spray bottle. That's what that tastes like. That tastes like something that should exclusively be in a spray bottle. Because if you drink it, it's just straight bitter. Bitter and sour. Oh, it's like only oil from citrus peel. They took a thousand mandarins and tangerines, I mean, and turned them inside out so that all the oil sprayed right out. And then they put that in a drink. Ooh, it's like Chanel number five. Don't drink it. Here's another thing. I Kanye West has been on this um, downward spiral of interviews where he started out by saying that he was going to go DEFCON 3 on the Jews. And then he went on like, I don't know, the Breakfast Club or some shit. And then he went on what I already talked about. He went on the Lex Friedman podcast. And then he just went on, and each one was just worse. Each one he just says worse and worse stuff about Jewish people. And then he went on Alex Jones, and it's like three hours. And he wears a mask for the whole thing, so the audio quality is really bad. But I watched so much of it. I watched like two hours straight, and then I had to stop. And it's like... I think there are certain types of uh, entertainment slash media that I don't understand. Like, I do not understand sports. I, I just don't have that part of my brain. I lost it in a fucking accident when I was a child, probably. And I do not understand horror movies. Like, I do not understand why you would want to watch a horror movie. But I think me watching Kanye West on Alex Jones is similar to what people feel when they want to watch a horror movie cuz they want you want something titillating you're you you're tired of not feeling anything so you want to be you want to be abused or you want you'll take negativity as long as it's titillating as long as it's like captivating you'll you'll drink poison rather than not poison as long as it tastes good and man you cannot look away like he is so crazy now. Let's really let me let me be a grown up for one second and think about it. What's going on with Kanye West? Yeah. So he I don't think it's super complicated. I think he just has mental mental health issues. It's like one third of it. And one third of it is just he has this incredibly childish obsession with being unique and trying new stuff. And doing stuff that no one else is doing because that has worked for him a number of times in his life. And I don't know. It's very similar to the Trump thing of Trump when he started, like when he came down the golden escalator and um, and did his first speech, he just like said stuff that no one else was talking about. No one else was saying, yeah, the Mexicans are rapists. And it's like a good amount of people think that. And he just found, he just dug up a couple of things that people think that no one was saying. That there's like really shitty racist people in this country who think that stuff. And then Donald Trump had a long, fuck, it wasn't long actually, it was short, but it felt extremely long, his political career. 
And it's not over yet, unfortunately. It felt really long, and it was peppered with him finding little stuff that racist people was thinking that no one was saying on TV. And uh, interestingly, and no one is talking about this yet, in his in his speech where he launched his 2024 campaign, he has this one part where he is like, he he he's like, yeah, so we should do death penalty on drug dealers, which is like so far outside of the realm of what anyone on TV or anyone in politics in America says that it's like super explosive. And I think it's just one of those things where it might resonate with, with like, it's just one of those, it's exactly like, cause it reminds me of my dad and my uncle and all these like shitty people that are just like, yeah, we should just nuke the Middle East, you know? Where you just have like this really lack of nuance take. Like there's no nuance and you're really disconnected from the actual human experience of these issues. So you you uh, just like tumble, tumble down the stairs of logic and hit your head a bunch of times. And when you get to the bottom, you just say this thing that's like, oh, yeah, we should nuke the Middle East or, yeah, we, we got to not let anyone from from the Muslim countries come into our country until we, quote, can figure out what's going on. Or, yeah, we should just kill, we should just have a death penalty on all drug dealers. You know, it's just like one of these really easy to understand ideas that can, look, man, Donald Trump can give that legs. He really can. And so Kanye West wants to do that because he did it with breakbeats, you know? He sampled fucking saxophones in a way that no one had before. And people were like, that's crazy. We don't like those kind of breakbeats. Like, we only like these uh, West Coast-style Dr. Dre-type beats. And he's like, nah, you guys are telling me no, but I'm going to go with yes. Because I have this, like, kind of hunch, this, like, experimental hunch, hunch that this might be a thing. I'm going to make my own breakbeats. And he made his own breakbeats. And it fucking worked out for him. And he's kind of a musical genius. And... He sort of invented 15 different music styles, you know? And he is so fucking aware of it, and it makes it so less charming. But there's still, like, when he's like, Ultralight Beam is, like, the best song made in, like, 50 years. And then you listen to it, and it's like, God damn, that's a, that's a good song and a fresh sound. And, and God, I hate that he says it like that, though. <laughs> it's such a collision, you know, between, like, oh. God, I want to not like it because he's so rude. He's really the Donald Trump of breakbeats. So one third of it is that that Kanye West like wants to be unique in this very juvenile way, just like this really sort of teenage rebellion kind of way. But then one third of it is probably also just like, he just had probably like three or four bad experiences with Jewish execs or something. And it's like, that's it. You know, that's it. And like, yeah, just not very smart with stuff. And so you have this like billionaire human being saying these horrible things. And it is so funny. That Alex Jones, who is, man, it, it's so many different things at the same time. I, I, I've many, many times on the podcast tried to talk about this concept of 
what it feels like to be the craziest person in the room and then what it feels like to no longer be the craziest person in the room. Because there's like a certain freedom. Like when I grew up with my buddy Sebastian, he was always more conservative than me and I was always more crazy than him. So whatever we were doing, I always felt completely safe knowing that I'm the craziest person here. So whatever crazy idea I come up with, we can do if I say we do it or we're not going to do it if I change my mind midway through. But no one is going to no one is going to make me worry about my comfort zone because I'm completely in control because I'm the craziest person. That's just the dynamic between like the craziest and the less crazy. And then when you move from context to context and you find yourself no longer being the craziest person, you then feel this feeling of like fear, of lack of control because you don't exactly know where your comfort zone is with stuff, with like adventures and partying and, and danger, just straight up danger, you know? You just get on a fucking moped and cover each other's eyes and you just go as fast as you can. And like, where's my comfort zone? What am I afraid of? And when you're no longer the craziest person in the room, you almost overcompensate and go hard in the other direction. And dude, I tell you that I have listened to a good number of ep podcasts where all different kinds of podcasts where Alex Jones has walked into the room and he has always been the craziest person in the room. Always. It's kind of his thing. He's kind of like, and he's going a mile a minute and he's firing on all syllables and he's going fast and he's going hard and he doesn't take breaks and none of it makes any sense and it's all lizard people and it's all like conspiracy theory slam poetry and it's all like quite it's all the same as you know it's all the same horror movie kind of enjoyment where it's like you watch it and then there's this like disgusting fear in your heart that this might not be a joke. And it's like funny, but you're laughing and you're like, oh, fuck. Like this might be a really bad thing to laugh at. It's a lot of shame. It's a lot of like, it's a lot of weird like, it's like if you grew up in a Catholic church and now you're like watching some sort of like Catholic church porn. Like it's a lot of that, you know, where it's like, I'm, I don't know. I have seen, a, I've watched and listened to a lot of people talking when, with Alex Jones in the room, Alex Jones in the room, and he's always the craziest person. And then for the first time in my life, I'm 36 years old and I'm a, I'm a big listener on podcasts. For the first time in my life, Alex Jones is not the craziest person in the room. And the whole dynamic shifts and it's exactly like that stuff where like my whole life, growing up with Sebastian and being the craziest person. There was such a freewheeling, like, I could just wave my arms and do whatever I wanted because I knew that as soon as I get fearful and I say, stop, stop, we stop. Because, because everyone else is more conservative than me here. So I can just say, stop. But as soon as I was with crazier people, I became a totally different person where I was like much more deliberate, much more fearful. And people would really think I was like, an anxious little wimp. But really, it's because they were literally insane. And so here, watching Alex Jones worry, <laughs> it's so crazy, it's never happened before. Alex Jones has never worried about anything. He's always just, you know, he got himself in a lot of trouble not worrying. And then, 
you got Kanye being like, whatever you say to Kanye these days, Kanye is like, I love Hitler. And then Alex Jones has to be like, I gotta say, I don't agree with this thing you have with Hitler. (laughs) And like, he's never said anything like that, where he's like, because he's never, he doesn't agree with people around him, but, but he doesn't agree, and he always has the crazier opinion, so he never has to be like... Look, if you say, hey, I think 9-11 was real, and then Alex Jones says, yeah, but I think Sandy Hook was fucking made up, and then you say, yeah, but I think 9-11 was uh, was done by fucking Al-Qaeda, Alex Jones isn't going to be like, look, I really need to go on the record here and say that I'm not comfortable with this thing you're saying about how Al-Qaeda did 9-11, like, I don't agree with that. Like, you don't have to say that if someone states a less crazy opinion than your opinion, you only have to say that if someone states a crazier opinion. Oh, my God. Anyway, I I don't know. I don't know. It's just like a such a crazy mood in the room. Because also, like, really, you listen to it and it's like, Kanye thinks, Kanye keeps cracking jokes and no one is laughing and it's not funny. It's just dead air. He cracks a joke and then it's dead air and you just like, cannot look away. Like, because it's like, it's a, it's both like a, it's a stand-up comedian bombing and maybe foreshadowing like hate crime and massacre and just like persecution and horrible violence. Like it's a little prequel. Oh God. It's like the little title screen with a little bit of text before the really horrible shit happens. Like... That interview is just so crazy when you look at it now. But 10 years from now, it will be contextualized. 10 years from now, you'll be like, oh, yeah, so like here we really blew the lid off of a thing. And then it just got worse from there, you know? Like one notable moment when when anti-Semitism really came up for air was... Kanye West just being like, the Jews control everything and they're ruining us and and Satan is making them do evil shit because they really want to keep the black man down and they really want racism between the whites and the blacks because they want our society to not function because Satan loves to sow disorder and Satan loves those riots and it's all just like... The Jews are possessed by Satan. It's like, okay. You're not being... Kanye West is not being very creative. I think we can agree. Like, these are not very creative ideas. These are really boring ideas that have... Yeah. There's nothing creative about any of the stuff Kanye West is saying about Jews. And with that, we should drink another sparkling water, I think. Watermelon Wonder. GT's Synergy Raw Kombucha. Third one. First one was a 10. Second one was like a 2 out of 10. Watermelon. Ooh, you crack it open and immediately the room is filled with this like pungent watermelon. Immediately the room is filled with watermelon wonder. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's so fresh. I don't even like watermelon juice, but there's something about it when you make it really cold. 
and you make it a little bit gentle fizzy and there's an there's like a gross earthy dirty earthiness to watermelon that really works with the tea flavor of kombucha yeah so I just want to, that's an 8 out of 10 right there. I just want to acknowledge how kombucha is not sparkling water and I'm doing kind of an exception because because I just wanted to for my gut health. And also, since I have this podcast where I review stuff, I'm now going to review something totally different. I like cottage cheese, okay? It's controversial. Not everyone likes cottage cheese, but I do. It's just something that feels healthy. It feels like you can taste how it just tastes like protein more than fat and protein more than sugar. And it just has like this nice chewiness to it. And I just really like it. And I can also understand how some people think it's gross. That's that's my stance on, on uh, cottage cheese. And then in the stores in the last 10 years, I've seen many times products where they put stuff in cottage cheese like passion fruit or pineapple so i really like pineapple as we noticed on the beverage i reviewed today oh god i hate people that talk like that as you you might have noticed you might have uh, anyone who uh, you might if you know me uh, anyone who uh, if you listen to uh, you might already know that uh, i hate that i hate that voice i hate that voice in anyone, including myself. There's a lot of self-loathing in this episode. But anyway, I bought a thing of pineapple cottage cheese. And I had one bite. And I was like, so disgusting. Like, it's so fucking disgusting. I love cottage cheese. And I love pineapple. And if I can't be your customer with that shit, has anyone ever bought pineapple cottage cheese? Does that person exist? Absolutely impossible. I can't even imagine it. Anyway, so I put that Kanye West interview on at 2 a.m. And, and then like at 4 a.m. I just had to kill it. But it, and I, I literally had it on my laptop and I, I never do this. I never watch anything in bed, but I brought my laptop into bed to like fall asleep to it. Like that's how much, that's how addicted I am to the pain of it. Because it's like you, you want to laugh. It's so funny. Like the absolute absurdity of all of your enemies on a screen being in a room with such awkwardness and so much clearly just like everyone is just like suffering from different mental health issues. And there's something so gleefully enjoyable watching your enemies fail. But then you watch it and it's like, and there's this terror in the back of your head where you're like, Maybe this isn't a failure. Like, this is so, like, it's so much like Trump gaffes that weren't gaffes, where, like, Trump says something outlandish that's, like, totally what racist rednecks think. And then every time the racist rednecks are just like, why do you keep saying that his career is over now? And the more you say that, the more his career isn't over. The more we will back him up. And there's this, like... There's this like voice in our culture. It's like the mainstream voice. And the voice says that you're over now because you've crossed these lines. And like the Trump thing was to clearly 
never be constrained by shame and to never listen to that voice. And he just proved that you don't have to listen to that voice. And it's so painful. But that's just because changes, we have to just change and come up with a new society, really. Because we got to come up with something because this, this shit's, this shit's terrifying. Okay, I'm going to talk about one more thing here. This is like an embarrassing, weird thing that I shouldn't be talking about or whatever. But I'm just going to have this really... <laughs> sometimes sometimes I have these really, really honest, uh, embarrassing conversations. <laughs> and then I really... You know what I really appreciated? This one time after um, I went to the Kendrick Lamar show... I talked on the podcast about how afterwards I went to a strip club and the bouncer was this big black guy and we were kind of having a conversation and he was asking me what I had done that day. And then I wanted to say what I had done. What I had done was I just came from a Kendrick Lamar show and it was fucking awesome. But I didn't want to say it because he was a black guy and it made it too much seem like, oh, are you just telling me about the Kendrick Lamar show because I'm a black guy? I was too scared of him saying that. So I didn't say it because <laughs> I didn't want to seem racist, probably thus making me super racist or something. But so, and then <laughs> like three months later, uh, Tristan at, I'm at work and Tristan just referenced it. And that cracked me up so much because it's so, oh, it's just the worst. It's just, I don't know. It's just so funny and humiliating. <clears throat> Other funny ones is like this one time. Okay, so I think I'm going to say this here. So when I interviewed Doug, there was this one moment where we were talking about how we were talking about how Jason Momoa came in and we were talking about, I can't say this, can I? I'm going to say it. Yeah, I can say this in this episode because it works in this context. Context. Okay, so let me gather my thoughts. What it was, was me and Doug were talking about how Jason Momoa were, was coming in. And when he was coming in, I walk up to London and I say, you are not going to believe this, but Jason Momoa is coming in. And, and London goes, who's that? And I thought that was hilarious because it's like, okay, we get it, London. You're a lesbian. King of the lesbians. I said something that was meant to be a joke that was like, where I was like, King, oh yeah, I, I get it. Trying to be, trying to be King of the Lesbians. Can't even know who Jason Momoa is. That's how, that's how much of a lesbian we're trying to be here. And it was like, I was trying to be funny, but it like came off a little bit like, I don't know. It didn't come off so great. It didn't sound so great. It sounded a little bit rude. And it's like, you know, it's a, touchy territory <laughs> it's touchy territory maybe you could say it's touchy territory so i edited it out of the podcast because i just didn't like the way it sounded it sounded a little bit like ignorant you know um and then so but but i uploaded the video version of the podcast and the video version of the podcast is fully unedited and then I didn't want the fully unedited version with that joke live. So instead of publishing it, I just did this other button that's just like schedule. That you can you can either publish or you can schedule. So I just scheduled it for four weeks out because I just wanted it to ex – I wanted it, the file to be saved for posterity, but I didn't want anyone to see it. So I just 
scheduled it for like, I'll just, it'll come live in five weeks and no one follows my YouTube and I won't tell anyone about it. And it'll just be chilling on the YouTube. Like the YouTube is not pushed in any way anywhere. It's like secret. So I'll just have it on there and no one will see it and it's fine. And the actual version, that's the podcast version, that's the audio only version is edited down and has that joke taken out, right? And then six weeks later, the episode has now gone live and I have forgotten about it. And I really intended for it to like not go live. I wanted it to just be in a sort of draft state, unpublished, but saved on the website. And six weeks later, Corey, Corey literally like found it, watched the whole three hour video, which is so meandering and boring. Like that me, I, I interviewed Doug for three hours and we, I edited it down to an hour and a half. The hour and a half is really good. It's really charming. But like the uncut version is so boring and so meandering. And I cannot believe that Corey listened through the whole thing. And he listened to the whole thing. <laughs> while doing roll-ups at work. It's so funny. <laughs> He's like doing roll-ups in Sweet 2 like a machine, just just listening to it. And then he comes up at me afterwards and he's like, yeah, I like that. I like that King of the Lesbians joke. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? That's a joke that I, that's a cutting room floor joke. That didn't make it because I didn't like the tone of it. Okay, so the only reason I, <laughs> that's so funny. It's so funny to me that that, those situations, but so that's the only reason I can say that because now I'm going to say another humiliating thing that where the context, it it works, it's fine. Um, So I have my boss and one of my other co-managers are both lesbians and they're a little bit cooler than us because lesbians are kind of cool, you know? And so then I'm over here, you know, and it's like not that cool to be a straight white guy. So... I've been there for like more than a year and the whole time I'm like, I want to be cool and I would like to let someone know that like, I've also had some boyfriends, you know, like I'm not the most boring straight white guy. Like I'm not that straight, you know, but it's like, you can't say that like that. You can't say, Hey, just so you know, I want you guys to think I'm cool. So I want you to know that I have had a boyfriend, you know, I've hooked up with some men you know, and I'm saying that so that you think I'm cool. There's no way to say that. So I couldn't. So I haven't. So I've never, so we sit in this office and we talk about work because that's what we talk about. You can't suddenly in a meeting be like, okay, yes, yeah, so the profits and losses like this. And you know, the labor cost is like this. And like the fucking costs of goods sold is like this. And then, oh, by the way, like I've also had like sex with some men. Like, so like I'm also cool like you guys, even the, you know, like you can't do, there's no, There's no segue. There's no transition. So for like a year and a half, I've been in here just like without a transition, no opportunity to say it. And then this crazy thing happened where, listen to this one. We have a pop-up miracle Christmas bar in the basement, in the, in the iron door cocktail lounge. And on the back of the menu, The inside of the menu is our 10 cocktails and our two shots. The front of the menu is like miracle graphics. The back of the menu lists some of the glassware and how the glassware is for sale. And then at the bottom of the back of the menu, it says 10% of all proceeds to Miracle are donated to the Siva Foundation. And then 
we're sitting in the office and we're looking over everything and we look at that and I'm like, I say out loud, I'm like, what's this Siva Foundation? Like, why does that sound so familiar? And then I turn to the computer and I Google the Siva Foundation and then they're talking about something else. And then I'm, without being able to control myself, my mouth, when I Google it, my mouth just says, whoa. Like, it was, I was so taken aback because it's such a memory hole, wormhole, fucking time travel, um, complete microfiction in one thing. Because, so then I don't even have to like say the next thing because <clears throat> London literally turns to me and is like, what's the Siva Foundation? <laughs> and then I'm like, then I get to say, hey, so... <clears throat> I've actually had some boyfriends and the most serious boyfriend I ever had was, this is such a, it's so, I, I cannot believe that I'm telling the story like this. It's so funny, but I like to just dissect regular life. I like to dissect regular life and I like to just talk about what it feels like inside of a human head as you go through life and as you experience things. And so... I'm just going to tell every angle of this thing here at the end of an episode where I can I really like to tell the worst stories at the end of the episodes where I really tell myself that no one's listening anymore. But anyway, so here we go. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So I've had some boyfriends. And the most serious boyfriend I had, his name was John Brilliant. And he, his dad, his dad's name is Larry Brilliant. And Larry Brilliant um, was... It's a doctor, and he became famous in the 70s because Native Americans occupied Alcatraz and during for political reasons of how they were being mistreated or whatever. And then because they needed a doctor during the occupation, he just went there. Dr. Larry Brilliant just went to Alcatraz in the middle of the occupation just to be a doctor there to help them because, you know, it was like a bunch of people, and they had some medical issues happen. And then... Because America is so fucking racist, out of all the people on Alcatraz, all the Native Americans on Alcatraz trying to advocate for their own issues, he became the spokesperson because he was the only white guy on Alcatraz. And the news in the 70s didn't want a fucking Native American talking about talking a bunch of bullshit on TV. They wanted a white guy. They wanted some lingo they could understand. So in this like super racist, the dynamic of it is so racist but he became the spokesperson. He didn't know anything about Native Americans. He was a doctor. He just he was just there treating their stuff. But so he just became this person who would just um, repeat back to the camera what the people had been telling him all day. And the people would be like, yes, the issues we care about and the injustices that this is about and blah, blah. And then he'd be the one to go out there and say into the microphone, hey, blah, 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 this and this and this. So then because he was a famous doctor and like, he made a bunch of money and was like a philanthropist. And then he became the head of Google.org, which is like the philanthropy arm of Google. So at that point, he's like a celebrity doctor or something. And then he started a charity foundation called the Siva Foundation. And the random thing is that the bar that we have now, money that we are paying to Miracle is going to the Siva Foundation. And that's a foundation headed and started by Larry Brilliant, who is the dad of John Brilliant, the guy that I was dating, the guy who was my boyfriend. And then <clears throat> the last part of the story is like, the last thing that I say to them is like that it's a very weird and like deep and dark thing that I never, that I haven't thought about in a very long time. And that's true. 
because it's like I don't it, it doesn't really come up in my normal life. I've talked about it on the podcast two or three times, but like, um, John died, and it's like John was twenty three and he died from lung cancer, and it was just and I and I the worst what I am in pain most about now. There's multiple things because one painful thing to think about is what a waste it is because he's such a like he was just such a um, incredibly high powered and ultra intelligent and he would have just writ like he would have written a bunch of books and done a bunch of and been the head of some big organizations and done a bunch of good stuff. That's one thing that's sad. But the other thing that really kills me on a personal level is that like I was 22 and he was 22 and he got cancer and I just was a kid in the sense that I didn't have the maturity to know how to handle it. The fact that he was sick and that he was like dying. I didn't know that he was dying. I just knew that he was super sick, but it was scary that he was sick. And the scariness made me pull away from him. And the fact that I pulled away from him meant that I like abandoned him when he needed me the most. Like he really needed just like support and human contact. And he just needed love, you know? And we were like dating, but he had a relationship and then he had to go back to America because he was sick. And this was all in Shanghai. Like the randomness of it cannot be overemphasized. Like I'm in Shanghai in 2008 and I... I'm in Shanghai in 2008 and I meet some white guy in a club and we're friends for a while and then we're dating. And then 15 years later, 2008, 14 years later, I have ended up in Beijing, married an American woman, moved to Seattle and then from Seattle moved down to California and I'm living in the mountains in California and I'm presented with a piece of printed material that I hold in my hand and on it there's the printed I mean there's it's like ultra random but it's also a little bit like his dad is famous and like famous famous is famous like like that's not so random like a lot of probably a hundred thousand you know probably a million of those pamphlets were printed so a lot of people had the a piece of paper in their hand that said Siva Foundation on it that part's not so random. And like, I remember being in the public library once in in Seattle on my laptop trying to write a book. And I look over to my left and I see this book and it's called, the name of the book is All, uh, no, Sometimes Brilliant, written by Larry, Dr. Larry Brilliant. And it's like, his dad wrote a book and it's a pun of his last name. And it made me think of how John said that the actual, it's actually, it's like a Russian Jewish name. And the actual Russian Jewish name was Brilliantov with O-V at the end, Brilliantov. But then it got Ellis Islanded and, and it got simplified to brilliant. So the American, what it, when you land on the shores of America, it got simplified into Brilliant. John Brilliant. Such a beautiful name. John, just no H, J-O-N. Such a great guy. He was so fucking cool, man. He was like so fashionable and he was so well read and he was such a nerd. And he had the coolest job in the whole world and his job was to like 
Apple sent him to China to just chill and go to the fake markets and just keep track of what the people who make shit in the fake markets, what they're coming up with. What have they, have they cracked how to copy an iPhone? Have they jailbroken an iPhone? Have they jailbroken our new update? But more, less specific things of just like, what are the new gadgets? Like, what are people walking around with? Just write some papers here and there and send them back to Apple HQ about what the Chinese people are doing. Like, what are the Chinese people thinking about? Like, he was, he found himself in these positions where he was allowed to think the big thoughts and people would ask him the big questions and he would have an opportunity to answer the big answers. And it's like, bro, oh God, I'm so in this moment, everything is falling apart in my heart because, oh God, I would have loved to just have a podcast with John Brilliant. God, fuck. I got a little bit too real there for a second, because in a moment, for a second there, I could imagine that that's what it actually would have been. Oh, that's what it actually would have been. That would have happened. Oh, God. And it would have been much better than this. It would have been so much better than this. It's like that. <clears throat> oh, God. It's like that Tenacious D song where he goes, the, the, the song is called The Best Song in the World. And in the song, he's like, this is not that song. This is a song about the best song in the world. And that's what this is. This is not... This is not the best podcast in the world. This is a podcast about the best podcast in the world. And it's a that's it's fictional. It never happened. The best podcast in the world was never created. Because John died <clears throat> from a cyto cytokinetic cytokinetic storm, which is a crazy name for like a cell level sepsis. Oh god. He was such a good person. He was so fucking pure and a little bit tortured and really, really sad. And he had some antidepressants that kind of worked. And he had such cool tattoos. And he had such cool choices for how to, what to do with his hair. And then when he was dying, he got a ton of tattoos. And he, it, he would talk about it like, you know, I'm probably dying. So these tattoos are like a little bit like, you know... I'm probably dying, so, you know, that meme where a kid asks his mom, hey, mom, can I get a temporary tattoo? And then the mom is like, sure. And then he gets a real tattoo, and his mom is like, but that's not temporary. And then he looks at his mom, and he goes, everything is temporary. You know, nihilist memes. Oh, God, but the hardest part is that I, like, what, that I just did. It's the one time in my life that my actions have actually mattered on a moral level. Like, I walk around the world with so much shame and angst and rumination and trepidation and all kinds of things. And I'm like, oh, should I have done that? Should I not have done that? Oh, I should not have done that. But I did that and I shouldn't have done that. And and none of it matters. Like none of those things that I think about matter. They have absolutely zero ethical valence. And the one time that my behavior mattered was when John Brilliant was dying and he needed a friend. 
I mean, I don't know, a boyfriend, but like just a, at least just a friend. Because he would fucking Skype call me all the time. And I just like, there was a lot of missed calls, bro. <clears throat> and I called him back here and there, but those were mostly missed calls. And I just pulled back. Because I was uncomfortable with the unhealth. Yeah. Anyway, so I told a sort of, yeah, I said all of that that I just said. It was about 20 minutes. London asked me, what's the SIVA Foundation? And then I proceeded to podcast for about 25 minutes. Wouldn't that be so funny? Oh, God. Oh, God. Anyway, I told like a version of that. And, and then Amanda Anderson looked at me and said, who are you? Well, what are you? As if to say that she thinks I'm really weird and have a colorful backstory. And that's what I've been wanting people to say. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally, someone asked me, have you ever had sex with a dude? Finally. I've been meaning for you to ask me that so that I can be part of the cool, cool kids club. Because these lesbians just know that I'm dating women. And white guys dating women is like, not that fashionable. It's not that fashionable. I want to be fashionable. <sighs> I remember I was telling that story. I was telling the story about Larry Brilliant and the fucking Native Americans on Alcatraz and Google.org. And, and then Doug looks at me and he's like, why are we talking about this? And then I go... Because Miracle donates to the Siva Foundation, okay? <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, okay. Huh. And then what I wanted to ask them that I didn't is that um, Larry Brilliant started the Siva Foundation with Ram Das and Wavy Gravy, which is like these old hippies that pick these old hippie names. And it's like a time in hippiedom when hippies were really Buddhist, so it's like a weird Buddhist thing where like they would talk about Taoist and Buddhist teachings and be hippies and have weird hippie names and do meditations and stuff. And I think Wavy Gravy was also a clown. Like there's a lot of different cultural tropey stuff um, sort of interacting in one thing here. And and those guys were also friends with the brilliance. And I, I've just been – I just would love – for anyone to explain to me what that is. Like, are those guys famous? And if so, what are those guys? Very confusing. <sighs> you know, John's job was to go to the fake markets and just say, report back to Apple what the what the weird prototypers, is that what they're called? Just the people that just make... In China, you can go and they'll just make you, pro like, if you want to invent something, you just explain it to a Chinese guy and he'll fucking prototype it for you right away. And um, I remember in, two th I've told this before because I fucking love it, but in 2006, I want to say six, actually, let me look it up because it's very related to the year. No, 2013, does that fucking make sense? In 2013, it was the year of the pig. And for year of the pig, they came out. There was just this phone that you could buy. Like, they came up with shit every fucking week. And in the year of the pig, one time my phone broke, so I go to buy a new phone. And then they have a hundred little phones. This is, is it pre-smartphone? When did the iPhone come out? 
Oh God, I'm having one of those moments where I'm realizing that a story I have been living with as if it's true is not true. You know, the story of how I tell the story is that this was before the iPhone came out. This is pre-smartphone. This is like a phone. It It's like on par with the old Nokia's. It has like buttons, actual buttons and a little old screen. And the whole phone is pink. And the back of it says Happily New Year. And it's pink like a pig. And it has like a pig graphic printed on it. So it's a pig phone. Because for Year of the Pig, everything is just pig decorated. And then the thing about it was that it had all these cool functions. And one cool function was that you could be on a phone call and you could like get on into the menu while you're on the phone call and you could add background noise to to make excuses. You could add traffic noise if if you wanted to make if you wanted it to if you were late for a meeting, you could like press a button and it would just make it sound like there was traffic in the background. Or you could have someone yelling at you. Or you could have like just different things, fighting, arguing, traffic, just different shit that you could use as an excuse. Or like party sound if you want it to sound cool. And it's such a cool function. And like, oh God. If John had survived, we might have that on all of our iPhones now. But the story doesn't make any sense because Year of the Pig was in 2013. And that's like six years after the iPhone was invented. And it just doesn't make any sense anymore. The whole story, like, did I dream the whole thing? Like how Tristan didn't show up to work today because she had a dream where she thought I said that she could have the day off and that wasn't true. So <clears throat> Tristan is not in trouble. Um, publicly, I'm going on the record and saying Tristan is not in trouble. But we have a lot of dreams. We dream a lot of stuff. Oh, dude, what else is going on? Um, Yeah, I, you know... Last, I think it was last episode, I was, there were so many thoughts I started last episode and now I'm tired and now I don't, still don't have the fucking wherewithal to unpack them, but I wanted to talk about them and I couldn't do it because I was so sick and delirious. But like, there's something about trivia, trivia, bar trivia and puns and stuff that I really, there is something painful there for me where like, I tell myself this martyr story that like I'm bad at puns because I just have a different frame of reference. And right now I'm just making the split, excuse me, split second decision to believe or not believe that. And I think it's true, actually. I'm going to, I I think I walked into this thinking I was going to be hard on myself and say, look, everyone is like that. Everyone has their own frame of reference. And it's just, hard for everyone to to come up with something that's a pun that other people can understand. Because I just come up with puns that are like not what other people can understand. Like for me, a pun is like how the right now I'm on ground that used to believe uh, belong to the Maidu people and the Nisian people. Nisanon, I don't know. But Maidu, there's like a Maidu road around here. And it's so crazy to me because like, before the last city I lived in in China, I lived in Hangzhou, and I I lived on an, in an alley called Cha Jiongnong, which <clears throat> um, means something like tea alcohol lane or something. But but then it connects the lane collect connects to Maidu Avenue, and Maidu means like grave hole, 
or whatever. So it's like my mind, every time I drive past Maidu Road because I drive past it going to work, every single day I drive to work, I see this big sign, Maidu Road. And every single time it reminds me of the how there's the same road in Hangzhou. And every day I come up with different puns that if I just had someone sitting in the car with the same frame of reference as me, I would rip, dude, I could riff on... I, I would rip gas. Yeah, I would body gas. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Anyway, that sounded like that's what I was going to say. I would fart in the car and then I would riff on my do and how it's a word both in a Native American language and in Chinese. And it's like, that's not a pun. That doesn't work. No one thinks that's funny. I, I have all these jokes and the audience doesn't exist. <laughs> And then I'm like, is that everyone's problem or am I special? And I, I'm totally on the fence, actually. I think maybe everyone has that problem a little bit. And I think maybe I have that problem a little bit more than most people. Dude, I got jokes, dude. I got fucking jokes, dude. And the audience will not be born for another thousand years, you know. But I'm hilarious. Not not in this lifetime, though. I don't know. Okay, another thing that I want to talk about, but I don't know how to talk about it. It's like somewhere in my mind, I have this sort of uh, library of toxic boy things that toxic boys have said to me. Like Cammy back in the day, when back in Shanghai, Cammy would... Cammy had this... He was like a good seven, eight years older than me, and he just had this thing where he was big on imparting wisdom. And they, he had a real wisdom way of talking. And he was also kind of a bad person. And then he had his friend Alex, who didn't have a good grasp of consent. And even though this is like firmly before any kind of Me Too movement, consent was still a thing. And we still knew about good and bad. And and they had this like really philosopher kind of wisdom way of talking, but they had this like horrible way of acting. So Sebastian would always refer to Alex as a rapist slash philosopher, which I just found to be so rich and funny. And Sebastian and me, Sebastian had these puns where maybe I'm the only audience, only possible audience. But uh, there's this thing that Cammy said that really... You know, the Cammy said, a man is not his face. He would always say that. Like, I would talk, I would be trying to talk to some girl and I'd be scared and I'd be really into her and I'd be infatuated and she'd be so pretty and I wouldn't be so pretty. And then he'd just look at me and be like, a man is not his face. And there's so much toxic fucking anti-feminist sentiment baked into that sentence of like a woman, first of all, that basic implication is a woman is only her face you know like it's so interesting how you can unpack these very short sentences like all lives matter and stuff like there's so much unpacking and political like <sighs> there's so much posturing that you can do in so few words a man is not his face means that women are have no interior they have no interior dialogue. They have no interior value. They are just their faces. And a man, you must not forget that men are different from women. Men are not faces. It's like so toxic and horrible. 
And he would say a lot of things like that to me. And and then, you know, fast forward 20 years later, I find out that he has like <laughs> Donald Trump sympathies. And it's just so like, it's just such a blast from the past to have this like <laughs> alcoholic Frenchman who you cannot really understand because his accent is really thick, but he actually knows like exactly as many English language words as me. He just pronounces them in a heavy French accent because he chooses to, because there's a lot of ego related to, <clears throat> he would always make fun of me for sounding like an American. Who's laughing now, Cammy? I don't know. I'm not laughing. I, I think neither of us is laughing. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think life really worked out for either one of us, but, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, oh God, oh God. But yeah, so much toxic male stuff. And um, yeah, it's a real sort of like zero sum way of looking at war of the sexes, all, all this kind of stuff. But then I, I the, all of these statements go in this specific corner in my mind where I just keep all my, all the toxic male things I've heard. And like in Seattle... I remember it's these weird flashbulb memories, but I don't remember where it happened. I don't remember what we were talking about before or after, but you say something super hilariously toxic. Also, whoa. Yeah, I don't know. No, I was going to say that it has some grain of truth to it, or it like points towards something true. So it's like this weird intersection of toxicity and truth. Like, because Cammy would just only say toxic male things. And then I think maybe once a year, he just said something that also maybe was true. And so that really made an impression on me. So Max Loring in Seattle, he said this one thing where he was like, because um, he was a real womanizer, Max Loring. He was a really, really like, I don't know, sex addict is the wrong word. He was hyper-focused on, he over-sexualized the world and he was only talking about sex ever and everything was about women and everything was about talking about women's bodies and everything was about, you know, women and having sex with them. And then this one time he was like, as long as you sleep with like put together middle class and upper middle class women, like women with some sort of sense, women who are like kind of, in a good position, you'd never have to wear protection and you don't have to worry about STDs. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, dude. Jesus Christ. Dude, do people say shit like this? It's like, how do people say shit like this? But that's what he said to me. And he was fucking serious, too. And it's like, okay, fine, maybe that's true. Hey, I don't know. Oh, God. Yeah, anyway, <clears throat> I had a pretty good day. I only slept a few hours, and then I woke up, and I drove to Yuba City, and I had my truck serviced. And I drive all the way to Yuba City because they do it for free, and I have absolutely zero idea what it costs to do it not in Yuba City because I do spend like 40 bucks on gas doing there, so... But it's probably more than 40 bucks. I, I've had this little ritual because I do it every few months when I have my truck service. It's like 
I drive there, I go to the mall while they do it, and then afterwards I go and get some fast food, and then I hit the Asian grocery store and I get some frozen dumplings and like some real Chinese brands of Asian food. And it gets it gets really good, and and I the whole thing is just nice. It's a nice ritual. But today, it was actually a kind of goodbye because at the dealership, there's this weird fella who talks too much. Who it's like the shuttle driver. So when they service your truck, he'll drive you anywhere. So I'm just like, drive me to the mall to Starbucks. And last time he was like, um. I'm go- I'm moving to the south. I'm moving to the deep south. It's too expensive for me around here. And I've really gotten to know him because I've been over there so many times. And then he's like, I'm moving in a few weeks. So I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So so I in my head, I'm like, oh, so next time I'll, you won't be here. And then I come back today and, and he's not there. And the whole experience was so shitty that I knew everything about it was so like, it finally has dawned on me how Yuba City is such a shit shithole of a city. And it's like I just had like terrible food. The Starbucks doesn't even work properly. I had the worst taco ever. And it's like on the fucking Yuba City Reddit, everyone says it's the best taco in Yuba City. And it was awful. It's just like a bunch of ground up chicken meat and raw white onion in a really dry tortilla. And um, everything with the dealership was annoying and all the people I know were gone. So then that imbues everything with this thing that Sam Harris always talks about in the meditation practices where he's like, he talks about how we, a lot of stuff we do in life, we only do a few times in a lifetime. Like, you know, imagine like a store, Like, sometimes you just wander around downtown and you walk into a store. Like, now you have an impression of that store. And if that store didn't really have anything interesting in there, maybe you're never going to walk into that store again. Like, you're going to live your entire life and never walk into that store again. So, if you think about that as you are in the store and you think about how this is like this really unique moment in the timeline of my entire life because I'll never be in the store again. Like if you start thinking about how often it is you do something for the last time, you can imbue normal life with a sense of magic. And I sort of tried to do that throughout the, because the more uncomfortable everything was about my experience there with the annoying fucking dealership people and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting like an hour for the shuttle to even show up. And as I'm sitting there for an hour, I'm just realizing I'll probably never, like I've been in this building many, many times now, like a dozen times where I bought my truck and I'll probably never be in here again. That's probably not true because I'm going to fucking total that thing and I'm going to have to go in there and yell at them and to get a new one, to get a freshie. But I felt it. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. I felt it. I felt like this root, this ritual, it's also true that this was the last free truck maintenance. That was the real thing. Like every 5,000 miles, you, I get to go there and, and get a free, um, they just rotate the fucking tires and do whatever you do to cars. I have zero idea. And then they do that and they do it for free. And <clears throat> today was the last time they'll do it for free. So... As I'm sitting there in this like boring, 
uncomfortable situation with these like this like airport big hall with cars indoors in glass and like boring fake marble floors that are kind of shiny and reflective and like really sort of watery coffee it i still managed to like imbue the experience with a sense of magic because i realized that this is the end of me coming here for this i'll never be back for this so it's like you look at every part of the room and you like realize that it's the last time you'll look at that room at that part of the room like this is i i don't know it's like there is some meditation practice thing it's weird because it's like it sounds so melodramatic when you say it but there is a feeling behind that language and the feeling isn't melodramatic the feeling is more peaceful and the feeling is more like it lets the suffering melt away because it's so easy to um become only aware of the practical annoyance of a day, especially when you've only slept three hours. You know, when you've only slept three hours, everything is kind of uncomfortable. But then you sit there and you're tired and you're like, at least I get to fucking wake up and be alive, you know, because that's not the case for everyone. Some people died. And then they finally took me to a Starbucks and I just sat there and I listened to these two people and the woman was just talking too much and the man was just listening and laughing, laughing too much at things that weren't funny. And they were, there was a weird age discrepancy that made it seem like it wasn't a date, but the way he was laughing made it seem like it was a date. And then the way they were talking about business made it seem like it wasn't a date. But then the way it really seemed like a date. And then at the end of it, it lasted forever, first of all. And then at the end of it, he's on the phone with someone and he says this thing where he's like, yeah, yeah, and then you'll get the charcuterie board, the charcuterie board. And then he literally did that thing where you're like, you're saying the word charcuterie board. And the person on the other line is, on the other end of the line is obviously like, what the fuck is a charcuterie board? And then you have to be like, you know, like a cheese board. And he literally goes, you know, you know, like a cheese board. (laughs) And I just sat there and I'm like, is this the last time I'll ever hear someone having to explain what a charcuterie board is? Explaining what a charcuterie board has now been a trope for like 10 years. There's even like a Kanye West push a T song where in the middle of the song, the beat cuts out and there's the silence and there's push a T explaining to Kanye West angrily, you know, where they put the little cheeses and the little meats on the wooden panel. Man, it's, it's when you go to your hotel room and they got the cheese and the fucking pepperoni sliced on the little wooden board waiting on you. New jewelries, new taste level shit. She be anyway, and then I went driving and <clears throat> I mean, I waited forever in that Starbucks and then he came and picked me up and he was annoying as fuck. And, and it's just this fella just telling these crazy stories and everything is about money and the real estate prices. And it's so boring to talk about real estate prices. And he's like, my brother-in-law, he bought a house and... Two years later, it's twice twice the price, and he sells it, and he made $260,000. And it's like, how many times in my life have I had to listen to someone retell a story about how someone bought a house for one price, and then a few years later, it has doubled in price, so it's sold. So there's just like hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit. 
What's the number? How many times have I heard that story? Many, many times. And every time, as a poor person, you hear that and you're like, well, isn't that just swell? Isn't that just swell that your brother-in-law did that? Meanwhile, he's probably, I mean, his shuttle driver is not fucking flipping houses, that's for sure. Um, But he's super annoying. And, and then I know, though, that like, I'll never see him again. I'll never see this new replacement sh- shuttle driver. I'll never have to see him again. So I'm sitting there in his car and I'm listening to his boring story. And there's so much peace in my heart because like, I'm grateful that I even get to be, you know, let alone be there. And I don't know. It's like, and then I finally, my car is done. And it's like, I wish I hate driving it. Like driving when the sun is up is so nice. And then the sun was setting as I left the dealership. And that was disappointing because it means I have to drive when it's dark, which is kind of boring. But I don't know, Spotify hit this fucking thing, dude. The algorithm just came off of this last song of the playlist and it just went, just hit the ground. Like you, it's like you just fly off of a cliff, off of a, off of a cliff and you're just flying through the air and it's like the shuffle of the songs and you just hit this stride and they're just so beautiful. And you can barely even like, you don't even know the names of them. You don't know if you're ever going to hear them again. Because sometimes you shuffle and you hear an incredible song and then it like never comes back. And it was just this moment you had with this thing, you know, and it's gone. And then it's like, man, it was just beautiful. And it's like, you're driving in Yuba City. It's a shithole, but there's like a lone palm tree against this like backlit gradient sky with like yellow to orange to like light purple to blue and it's like all these colors and the the lone palm tree and it's like man it's like this moment that they just make postcards out of and it's and it's like life is suffering but it's like this moment is really nice and it's like the feeling the moment is fleeting and we wish that we could live inside of those moments and and it's like yeah I don't know. I hate my life, but this this is a nice moment, you know? And it has this literary quality, and, and it's like, I don't know. And then it's like Sufjan Steven comes on, and he's like, next. <laughs> and we can't live inside of these moments proven by Sufjan Stevens coming on. And it's like, oh, God. Okay. Next. We can't live inside of these moments, unfortunately, and we find ourselves using that word a lot. The word unfortunately, you know, because everything is set up wrong and the world is set up wrong and everything was like put in the wrong order and everything is wrong, you know. There's so many things that are wrong, but we have to just like sort of be anyway. Then it's all right. And then I drove to my buddy Steph's house and we just hung out a little bit with Augustina and Steph and people and it was just really nice and Steph let me hit her vape and... I just love vaping nicotine, you know. I wouldn't buy one because it hurts my throat, but damn, I love vaping nicotine. And I, I thought about buying, I saw this Christmas sweater on the internet where um, it's like, um, it's like the graphic makes it look like a Christmas sweater and then the words on it say, don't let me hit your vape, whatever I say. <laughs> I love it. How cool is that? That's so funny. Yeah. 
And you know what else I thought about? How <clears throat> in that Starbucks today, there was this like, there's this circular metal can, big can that said, fall donation drive, not a trash can. And it looked exactly like a trash can. And I, and I walked over to it and I looked into it being like, is there not going to be trash in this? Like the odds that there are, that there's no trash in this are so low. Like the idea that this thing that looks exactly like a trash can, that you're going to have people not throw trash in it because you write the words, this is not a trash can on it. Like, do you understand how people do not read? Like the odds that there isn't trash in this thing are so low. And I walk over and there's like two cans of canned soup and trash in there. And then I thought about like, if I had a dating profile, maybe I should say something about that on it. Like that I'm kind of like a fall donation drive, not a trash can. That's like me, you know, people keep throwing trash in there. I don't know. It's, it's my promise. It's my pro problem that I have too unique of a frame of reference, or am I just not that quippy? <laughs> you know, like, do the things I say just not really come together that good? Or is it like that my audience won't be born for another thousand years? Don't answer that. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, I love you guys. I got to go back to some secret projects now. Thank you for listening.